from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Silver 7's on this Thursday. Got the full house, a little TBT. Old crew from a few years ago. Von Tobel back, better than ever, as Greeny would say, uh, hosting at VCN. He's in today. Adam Hill is on board as well for all that hockey knowledge and optimism. Very optimistic in the middle of the game. I was shocked by some of the tweets I was seeing from Adam Hill. What a freaking depressing night. Fantastic view. Fun game. Gut-wrenching game. On the edge of your seat game. We'll get to it inside of five minutes as the Golden Knights lose, and now they're down 2-0. What's up, guys? I have – well, Adam, you don't know this because you're not with us regularly here. So I've made it my mission – to get here on time because it's just a pain from my place to here. Oh, today. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. But, all, right, all right, all right. Push back the whole rundown. Here we go. Well, really, I'll, no, I'm just going to say. Driving stories. No, I'm just going to say, and I don't think Steve noticed, I've actually been sitting in the parking lot since 1245. I blew right by you. Yep, you walked right by me. I was playing retro ball on my phone. I had a phone interview to do at one, so I was like, I'm going to get here early. I'm going to do my phone interview, and then I'm just going to wait until it's time and Kill time by playing retro was ball that, listening podcasts. Was that the uh, McAfee show that you're trying out for? Uh, no, it was my own network that I am dutifully oh, employed and love working for. Well, Adam's got the rumor mill. He, he, he can't mention specifically, but a lot of people making a run at the McAfee show as they add to the staff. Oh, really? And well, I, know I, you, I know you like going on there because you go on the gambling element, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't know what their, what their background is. I think McAfee does great, but I feel like they're building stuff around them too, and I, yeah. I think other people might go there. Um. Just, just like you either. just glossed over that. Huh? I think my other people I might just, go there. By, by the way, I, 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 love got... for, I love McAfee's show because you get – no one can see what I'm doing. Right. But he's got like an extended mic. He stands, and I love to stand, but obviously on these remotes, I, w- I guess I could stand and just hold the mic. But he's literally like hovering over a microphone and bending over, and then as you guys are talking, he'll be like, can you turn up the, uh, the, the level over here? Okay, he's, he's just having like a side conversation. Yeah. I'm not ripping him. It's just – it's like the most raw radio broadcast you've ever seen. By the way, I can't. He's a former NFL player. My legs are going to explode if I stay in this position. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, he's a punter, too. Forget this. So the that's, leg, that's a good the leg strength is. I thought I had good legs, but, right. oh, my thighs are on fire. Wait, so who's my comp? I mean, who's trying else to get on the no. uh, we'll, we'll talk off the air. No, uh, Could have been. Uh, we'll just say this. We've had uh, lots of guests on this week. Yeah. That's it. Uh, okay. Right, just right. comb through our roster. It's true. Sorry. (laughs) Good for him if that's the case. (laughs) We've always always told Ari, this is a stepping stone gig. People stay here two years, you move on. We get someone new. So if you're into running for the McAfee show, awesome. By the way, I I have some new game recommendations for you, John. You said you were playing. We glossed over the fact he said he was playing Retro Bowl. That is a game we were both obsessed with on our phone. Would never know. I never see any uh, text on it. Yeah. Uh, we stopped a while ago. I get these weird threads, and I'm like, I have no idea what language you guys are speaking. <laughs> yeah, Retro Bowl. It's a fun game. Uh, I've got some more. I've got some new ones that I've been oh, playing. I'll, I'll, I'll send them your way. Uh, I I actually went to uh, – I usually get a th- – this is the one day a week when we come here that I go to a different coffee place. And oh, no. I, I drive, pulled in. Drive through hell. I ordered, and it's a blind turn. Yep. Like, have you have – you, I don't know how many places you've gone to that are you can't see what the line is. When you order, and you put in my order, and I feel bad for the guy that works there. So sorry, dude, if you're listening to this. 
Uh, I put in the order. It's probably and then working. I swung around the drive around the corner, and there was like seven cars in line waiting. And I was like, "All right, I'm out." So he's somebody's gonna pull up and be like, "Oh, is this your order?" No, I don't have the cold brew with the almond milk. Where did that guy go? He left. You backed out of the drive-thru, huh? Oh yeah. It's a that's an advanced maneuver. Doing <laughs> I had so. to. There's seven cars well, waiting. So one of the places that I the, the coffee shop near me, the the uh, drive-thru. Right, it's like on the back end of the building, and so it's a blind turn to get to the actual drive-through. It's like the the speaker itself. So like you'll pull in, like cool, nobody's here. You'll swing around, and there's like eight cars online, and it's still wrapping around the oh, building. Yeah. And then somebody pulls in right behind you, and it's like, God, now you're stuck. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the worst. We have hor- we have horror stories today, Steve. We're going through awful times. I got it. I had driving stories too, but I suppressed them. So it was like bumper cars coming down here. Well, mine was good. I've been here since 1245. Mine wasn't. It was Like I said, it was like bumper cars. <laughs> people are getting really amped up because I drive across the Strip at Spring Mountain, and uh, people are fired up. But we're here at Silver 7s. We all made it safely. Uh, we have news in on the Raiders, so more depth on the offensive line. Familiar name. They re-sign, bring back Sam Young. Yeah, back in the mix. And, uh, and while you might laugh that off, he played a lot last year. He did. When he could play. He was pressed into duty, and... You know, this is the time of year, especially, I mean, uh, really, I was going to say this is the time of year. All all year long, there's roster moves and there's changes and tweaks here and there. And, uh, yeah, Sam Young, another another body for depth, another body with experience. And that's going to be very important, especially as they try to rebuild this line in a you know, younger, cheaper manner. And I think more efficient, uh, Sam Young could be a key piece for them. Were you at the parking press conference today? I was not. Why not? It's very exciting. This is like this is one of the biggest days we've had recently when we find out this has been a grand secret about parking and uh, egress and ingress, uh, but that whole thing. And we're going to find out more about it. But, yeah, Raiders Brass spoke. Uh, you had uh, bosses from the MGM were speaking. RTC was out there. Here's Mark Bedane just giving a little snippet of this as we'll get into uh, more of the details later on. There's no shortage of parking options available. Uh, the NFL, when they send out parking surveys, they usually ask for how many spaces you have within a mile radius of the stadium. And while obviously a mile is too long for some patrons to walk, most people uh, in most NFL markets are willing to walk that far to come to the games. Again, we'll have shuttles for those that can't make the walk. But within a mile of this stadium are 35,000 parking spots. When we surveyed our fans, like I mentioned earlier, we found that we needed about 12,000. So we do feel that we have oversupply. That was interesting. When we surveyed the fans... I guess the study meant that most fans are like, I'm not driving. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, that, that, you know, of all the people that are coming, first of all, you know, I mean, a lot of the people that bought tickets are buying them to sell to people that are coming from out of town. So they would say, I don't need a parking spot. I'm selling my ticket. Uh, other people would be taking ride share. Other people would be getting a ride. Or And as far know, as we know, ride share is up and around the corner at Valley View and Tropicana. Yeah, I think so. That's uh, about we, we mapped it. It's about nine-tenths of a mile. So oh, that, that is that, that it well then it's that's outside there. that's outside the mile. Right, but that doesn't count in the parking spots. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it, it that, that's not part of you know, that's a that's a totally separate thing. Either way, it's a it's quite a haul uh from from the stadium area. And it's that, you know, that area that used to be a uh I think like a cab, you know, warehouse, front office type whatever, clearing yep. house. I don't know how how they would refer to that. Uh, but yeah, it's right down there. So on that's one point two miles away, and then Bedan was talking about thirty five thousand spots within a mile, and then it was interesting in the line there. Hey, most cities, you know, they're fine walking a mile. I mean, we are a little different. I feel kind of attacked with that line. 
Like, yeah, most NFL cities, they don't complain about this kind of thing. Right. So let's go. <laughs> well, one, one, they are going to have shuttles, so he did say that, and that was the plan all along. Right. Two, I'm not sure that some of the walking routes are super easy, especially if you're going down LV Boulevard you yeah. know, to the tune of, like, thousands of people. And we have to mention the obvious, starting in early August with a preseason game and then into September and sometimes into early October, as, as fellow Raider media found out yesterday – it's hot here. It is hot. By by the way, what a reaction yesterday. I I can't imagine watching football players work out in 105 and then complaining that you had to stand there in 105. Yeah, you I saw see. that from multiple people. I'm like, what? You didn't see that from me. No, I, know. I was you, not going to. You're not going to. You've lived here for freaking 30 here. years. Yeah. You better not. Um, and here's the other the other great thing about the summer, and I always think about this. I, I don't move much. So the fact that I can just sit and sweat, I know John's down with it. You are. I am. We're all trying to cut some weight. It's easy weight cutting time. Well, I also, like, I went. I lose weight on the drive around town. I went from 45 and rainy yeah. to 105, which I will take over 45 and uh, rainy any time. Of course. Uh, because that's what it was in Colorado when I was there two days ago. Uh, that sucked. Uh, I'll take the heat. And, um, you're right. I mean, all, all of those factors. I think the two biggest factors that you mentioned is the, the weather. I mean, yes, most NFL cities, people are willing to walk a mile, but that's usually like some sort of like a walkway, yeah, like a, a dedicated walkway where everybody's kind of walking together and you're walking across and it's not 120 I, degrees. I love the notion of – and the, people will take the shuttle, so it's not a big deal. But I love the notion of walking down Las Vegas Boulevard South after a football game and imbibing most of the time. That's the other factor. I just, I, well, I'm double just up the bollards about the transit, like where you're going down LB Boulevard and then going across like that 15 area, like the massive people that are just going to be walking. Russell, that, right? Yeah, like that's going to be insane. Well, I think they're they're going to try to direct people not to walk across Russell, and everyone will have to go down Hacienda, which they are going to close that bridge. But yeah. then once you start making a right in front of Mandalay, if you decide to walk, yeah, you know. Well, and and by the way, when they say this, like they're counting. All the parking garages at all the hotels. It's thirteen thousand owned by the Raiders. It's twenty two thousand on the strip, you know, within a mile. Right. So and those are different. Like now you're talking about walking not only a mile, and again, nobody's complaining about this. We're just telling you how it's real going to NFL go. cities don't complain about right. this. Exactly. But you're you're talking about walking a mile like to a hotel and then walking through the hotel and through the parking garage. And we know that that can add quite a bit to it too. Again, this is not to complain about it. We're just pointing out, like, this is not – we're not talking about a mile of dedicated, like, walking space. Don't you think they have to They have to shut down LV Boulevard from Russell going north to Tropicana? No. I mean, we're talking about walking that way. Like, why would I – don't, I don't think that people are going to be walking on Las Vegas Boulevard. I mean, some people are going back to their hotel. I think there's going to be so many people coming out of games oh, yeah. and turning left on, on uh, Hacienda, turning left from Hacienda – and then walking north towards the MGM and the Tropicana and Excalibur, that I, I think for a good portion of the day during game day, they're going to have to close it down. No, but if you're, on, if you're parked at, like, Excalibur, you're not walking all the way to the Strip. You're, you're getting to your garage before you get to the Strip. If you're parked at... You're not? So you're walking behind the Luxor? That'll all be open? Yeah, that's where you would walk. I mean, that's where the garage is. So those streets will be open, or are they closed? I would imagine those would be, like, probably one lane. All right. You, you, you got what I'm saying, right, John? He's fighting me on everything. I'm telling you, there's going to be so many people coming out and trying to go north or south 
that just Hacienda closed, they're going to have to come up with some you know interesting patterns where it'll be crazy if there's cars down there driving around. Yeah, that's. I, I just don't. I mean, I don't know that people are going to walk on the. It's going to be a mess. The bottom line is, as as we're getting it, we can quibble over if you're going to walk behind the Excalibur and behind uh, Luxor and go to those garages because those are before you get to the Strip or uh, the New York, New York or um, Aria. Like you wouldn't go all the way to the Strip; you would go back that down that back road. And you're right; who knows what that road's going to be? I don't know. Like we can quibble over where you're going to walk. It's going to be a mess. That's the bottom line of this. Well, I don't know if it will be. I just gave suggestions. If they close some roads down, I think it'll be a little bit easier. It's going to be crowded. Uh, and Bedane even said it today. He's like, you know, we don't know everything yet. So yeah. we're going to have to see how it goes. We'll see how some of these concerts and big events go over the summer. And we'll come up with a plan. But today they introduced the notion that there's 35,000 parking spots within a mile of the stadium. So last night's game was, it was exhilarating but excruciating. That's amazing. I the the swing from the first period to the second and much of the third was unbelievable. The first period, I uh, again, I'm not, I I don't think I'm speaking crazy talk here. I don't know how it wasn't like eight one. It just it, like as we've talked about, the abs looked so fast, and it was just like just swarming, flurry. I I joked. I was sitting with the SO watching the game. I joked like as flurry walked in to the uh, locker room after the first period, would you just be like, what is going on? Like, I'm, you're driving me nuts. Guys are skating all around. Freaking, the puck is way too close to the net. There are way too many easy passes. Give me a break. And then they did. Then they went 1,000 miles an hour and freaking swarmed. That's exactly what happened to me in my roller hockey debut as a goalie a couple years back. <laughs> my, oh, my blue, you were one and done? Oh, my blue line was terrible. And the mom in the stands, that, and the kid that kept scoring on me was just screaming the whole time, cheering for her son. It was a nightmare. And I, I mean, I will say I would have been thanking the defense because they were unbelievable in terms of blocking a lot of those shots. The Avalanche attempted a lot of shots, but not that many were getting through to the net. Like, the Golden Knights were much, much more committed to blocking shots yesterday, which is something they have done all season long. They were constantly on, you know, on the back heels, constantly skating backward, always in the offensive zone, and always seeming to be threatening to score. But there really wasn't, like, you know, I think game one they had 14 shots in goal. Yesterday they had 10 in the first period. Like, they weren't really getting on him, even though he was, he had to constantly be thinking, like, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? And his, his head bouncing back and forth. But, but I, I think credit to the defense for being much more committed uh, to getting in front of a lot of shots. And I think that is kind of what, you know, showed that they were in the game, that they were engaged, that they were ready to fight back in a way that they didn't in game one. And there was a little bit of an indication that, hey, this team is going to at least have some fight in it. Of course, that response goal for one uh, from the Golden Knights, which is something they couldn't do uh, in game one. They got the response that they needed. They got in the power play. They got a goal. And so that, that showed that they were in it. But I think just that commitment to – team defense and everything that they were doing and by the way it was it was not only them uh also flurry with being able to be active in the passing lanes too which prevented some of those shots on goal uh it was everybody getting their sticks out there everybody getting you know in the passing lanes committed to you know stopping what colorado to do but constantly on alert and constantly on defense throughout the first period and then after that not really after that they just dominated on the way back let's talk about where the knights sit now down to nothing we'll get into the second period it just seemed like the Knights should have had so many more goals, but that G-damn post over and over and over again got him. 
have something to say, tweet at Steve Gofield or call 702-364-1100 now. Now, back to Cofield and Company. McKinnon deals away on the forehand near side. Nico Rantanen. Score! Well, I didn't hear that on NBC. That sounded really enthusiastic. That was actually the home call, and pardon my language, uh, it stings even more. How about that son of a bitch? Oh. Connor McGahee yeah. on the call. Traitor! <laughs> Used Vegas as a stepping stone to go to Colorado, where he's now a uh, an established figure. We'll have to get him on next week, and I'll call him an SOB right to his face over the phone. Good call, though. Real taunting. Really taunting. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like he never worked for the Golden Knights. Uh, ooh, maybe there's a little extra sting yeah. included in the call. That sucked. That sucked. And it, you know, and it. If you're pessimistic by nature, and a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans are, which is kind of amazing, you're, you're in the playoffs for the fourth straight year. Uh, as you watch the game unfold in the second and the third, so many opportunities, so many posts, so many one-on-one opportunities. And whether it was the freaking post or Grubauer, they could not get the go-ahead goal. And then you, did you feel like it going overtime? I'm like, this is not. How, oh, yeah. how, how long can you go against this team, this powerful, this fast, not take the lead and keep holding them off? I mean, I, I felt like it after the second where the Golden Knights were so incredibly dominant in the second and only tied the game. Didn't find the, the way to take the lead. And then to have a third period just like that, where you control the action, have by far the better chances, and don't find a way to do it, yeah. I, I mean, I think you got that feeling. And, and I also, uh, I think I was texting with one of my coworkers, and I was like, they could, they could play for four days and have 752 high-danger chances. Grubauer's not giving up anything. Mm-hmm. He was unbelievable. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you got that sense. Like, it was going to take something kind of silly happening. There was one that uh, I think it was late third period where it was a, a shot that was not anywhere near the net, really. And it, it took it took a couple of deflections and kind of trickled out in front of the net. And you're like, oh, okay, that was a chance. that, And it didn't really go close, but you're like, that's the kind of goal that it's going to take yeah. to beat him. Are you talking about the one that happened to Flurry? No. There was, one, there was one with Flurry where it – it hit oddly on the side. Yeah. Starts going across the goal mouth. All of a sudden, it's uh, NHL 94. He slides on his side, and I'm like, there's no way he's going to stop this. Um, there, I will be nitpicky. I mean, these guys are pros, right? And this is why the game wasn't, you know, 8-7, you know, even with all the chances. Um, there were more than a few opportunities by the Knights where they came down, and they just could not lift the puck. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, think, so. I think for the Avs, too. I mean, the, there was another play with, with a, a puck taking the shot. Uh, taking a weird bounce off the sideboards and bouncing in front, and McKinnon had a great chance. Now Alex Tuck saved the day by slashing and taking a penalty, uh, so McKinnon couldn't really get anything on his shot. But I mean, you know, there, there was those opportunities too. I mean, both teams had chances to put better shots on goal and, and put more dangerous chances out there, and just couldn't do it. And I, I think you're right. There was a couple chances with the Golden Knights where. If they just got a little, you know, little lift on the puck, if they just put it in a little bit better spot, 
they could have scored and, and all the posts that they hit, everything else that was going on. I mean, there's, you know, there's a little something too. When you, when you hit the post, you look at it as, hey, that's really close. But at the same time, like, that's a goalie taking away most of the net and making you hit the post in a lot of cases. But you just put it a little, you know, inch here, inch there, and it's a different outcome. But it just wasn't there for the Knights, and I think that had to be the most frustrating part. Well, even the first goal too, right? Like the fact that you're essentially like Flurry's expecting a fastball, and then <laughs> there was a Petrangelo that gets his gets his stick on it, and it just all of a sudden just trickles out, and he's like, "Wait, what the hell?" And it goes between his legs. Like there was a lot of, for lack of a better term, like the luck work get worked against them in a lot of these instances. And now you sit, you know, in an O two hole after what happened in Game One, but it it's hockey sometimes, and that's why you can see it turn on its head on its head really quickly over the next two games. And you go back to Colorado 2-2 if it starts to work in your favor. This was a dynamite tweet from an Avs fan in the middle of the game. Um, actually, towards the end of the second. Someone said, I bet the NHL is favoring VGK. Terrible calls tonight. So one-sided. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're burying the lead. We're a half an hour into the show. We're not piss and moan about official guys. The call in overtime. Yeah. I know Pete DeBoer didn't feel good about it. No, he didn't. Um, Hashtag soft penalty. Add it to the lore of the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Um, it's it's a tough one. I mean, by the letter of the law, there's not really an argument. That's, like, by the way, can I say, because I, I, I completely agree with you, but every time you start with, by the letter of the law, it has to be done, that's always considered the soft or the tick sure. attack or something like sure. that. Like, if you have to explain... Technically, this is a penalty. It's always going to perceive, be perceived poorly by the team who it's against. Well, if you, I mean, if you're going to take emotion out of it, you're just mm. going to look at it objectively, and you say, well, time doesn't matter, right? Like, a penalty is a penalty is a penalty. Right. Now, we've come to expect in the NHL, and, and officials have done this forever, like, it has to be pretty egregious in the third, or excuse me, in late in the third period or, or in overtime. Of a playoff game. Yeah. There has to be something really egregious to be called i don't know if it rose to that level but was it a penalty yes and you can't really argue it but we have again we have kind of changed and these are you know unwritten rules or you know whatever has developed in hockey over you know in sports in general over a long period of time of you know making big calls in key situations where it has to be more than just you know a penalty i think that you can really have a problem with that call and you know whether I I don't think I don't think he dropped the stick on purpose. I think he was kind of in a weird angle. I think he just because it happened immediately. Like it's not like he got. It's not like he took the hit and then thought about it and like oh let me go let me go to the stick. I think he just he didn't have a, a firm grip on it, and it knocked it out of his hands. And that ended up why the official called it. Like I don't think he just said like if you watch how quickly it went from slash to stick out of his hand. Like, that's not somebody thinking about it. That is that that just happened, and he did knock the stick out of his hand, but I think it was because he didn't have a firm grip on it. You sure we're not trained? They're not trained to, like, throw the head back like an NBA player? Like, the second you feel contact, you just drop the stick? No, because even then, if you, like, you, even then you see, like, that little delay. Right. You see, like, contact, and then head goes back. Like, this was stick gets knocked out of his hand. Yeah. And, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not making the case that the, the force knocked it out of his hand – I think it was he didn't have a firm grip. He was actually focused on getting back on defense, not on trying to play the puck. And he just was caught off guard by a stick hitting his hand, and it knocked, it knocked the stick out, and that's why the call was made. 
Golden Knights games, and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. But somehow, someway, you're moving upstairs. And the paucity of opportunities for African-Americans continue to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. We talked about the coach. We didn't even get into black folks in executive positions. We got one black man with power. I'm talking about one dude, and his name is Masai Ujiri in Toronto. In the NBA, a black dude in the United States that's making the final call on basketball-related matters. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Thursdays means it's time to talk to Xavier Pope out of Chicago. As I say, expert on everything, legal analyst. That was Stephen A. Smith pissed yesterday. That was an instant reaction to finding out that Danny Ainge is moving on. Brad Stevens, who might have been on the chopping block during the season, at least the one Celtics uh, higher up. Apparently was interested in getting rid of Stevens instead, as a lot of people are saying he failed up. We'll get into that element, but Xavier, what about the reaction from Stephen A? Because uh, not only was he annoyed about Brad Stevens moving up, but he started looking around the league and he's like, uh, "We got a problem here. There's not a lot of opportunities at the highest level for African Americans." Well, what up, guys? Uh, I agree with Steve, uh, Stephen A. Smith. I-, I talked about this on my timeline already. In terms of Brad Stevens failing, Stevens failing up, this was also talked about on Inside the NBA a couple of days with Draymond Green. You know when when the the perception of being a an executive in the NBA is equivalent to being a college coach, uh, and I haven't seen that ever applied in terms of a black version of a Brad Stevens um, to be able to come from a, a uh, mid major program, not win a national championship. They go on to coach one of the league's storied franchises in the Boston Celtics uh, and then wind up after having been given multiple stars and multiple different iterations of it, not making it to the NBA Finals, then being worse off than you were the year before, and then turning around and then becoming an executive of this storied franchise. Where is the black version of Brad Stevens? It doesn't exist. And, it is, and so everyone that is upset about Brad Stevens failing up is absolutely correct. We were criticizing him when he got the coaching job to begin with and what he was able to stay in that coaching job for eight years um, after having really not doing anything with that role. We see that Doc Rivers winds up you know, having to leave the Clippers franchise and they're about to lose in the first round without him. And... So I'm just saying that Doc Rivers won put that team to a championship himself. And so where does the hypocrisy fall? I think it's important for us to see that Brad Stevens is a young coach that has the opportunity that others in his position that are black they would not necessarily have. Xavier, so I'm curious on a couple of fronts. First off, when it comes to the perspective of the NBA, right, like, the Rooney rule doesn't really work in the NFL. So what is the step that you take if you're the association? Like, other than, like, I don't even know, right? Outside of a Rooney rule type thing, what is the step you take if you're the league, if you're in control? I think it's one of the most important things to understand is that before the Rooney rule was ever adopted, it was nothing happening. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to recognize the Rooney rule did have impact. Barbara Lewis being hired by the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, it was part of that. It is important to recognize it 
It had some efficacy at its outset. And then just like every instrumentality of black progress, there is a use of seemingly neutral-based policies to be able to get around that, to push against that progress. So you saw, instead of the Rooney Rule being a way to get teams got around the Rooney Rule and then bringing candidates there just for the, just for the perception of having interviewed a, uh, a, a minority coaching candidate and that, that candidate not actually getting hired. We saw that many times with Jim Caldwell bringing name being brought up every single year. And so with the National Basketball Association, it is important to be able to do what was being approached in terms of the Rooney Rule is making you have more teeth and having more accountability into how it's supposed to work. And so just because a rule was adopted doesn't mean it, it failed. It just needs to be fine-tuned and tweaked to the changes in a mechanism of how white supremacy presents itself in various institutions in our society. Do you, do you have, like, in your mind, do you have a, like, if you were able to talk to the NFL or the NBA, to say, like, what would the next level be? What would the next, you know, the next conversation to have or the next iteration of that, you know, not necessarily a rule maybe, but guidance or, like, where would we go from there? You know, I think it's important for the, the league to, to first uh, uh, really evaluate how coaches got their jobs. Hmm. And there needs to be first data because we're now a data-driven league in terms of what's happening on the field. And we have advanced metrics into how teams perform on the field, especially in baseball and now increasingly in basketball, definitely in the National Football League. It is the centerpiece of the fantasy system that exists where now daily fantasy does now led to sports gaming in, in general. We we're talking about this in Vegas right now. So the same type of metrics that are used to analyze the game and its efficacy and also for the to 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 profit off of that should be the same way the league looks at itself in terms of diversity. So we all know that statistics have shown that diversity helps improve organizations. And so there needs to be more statistical data around how coaches, how general managers, how teams are being staffed so that you can improve that process and actually put real teeth behind any policies that you want to put behind it. So we have a situation, we've talked a lot about Atlanta and moving the All-Star game and uh, the you know Major League Baseball and the Players Union deciding uh, that they are not going to you know do business with a state that you know suppresses the vote and and they made that decision. It's their right to do it. But a group of business owners in Atlanta has sued now uh, for that decision to pull the All Star Game out. What kind of chance does this suit have, and how does this play out? Well, that's a great question, Adam. And it's important to recognize, Just I just stated in the last question, that every time that there is black progress, there is the instrumentality of the white supremacy that attempts to push that back. And we all know that the big lie that's what's formed behind a failed bid to re-election is now invaded our society and led to 360-plus measures in over 47 states. Uh, over quote-unquote election integrity when they're really based on lies and there have been 60-plus losses in court. So that's unproven right now. And so we see a state that flipped blue that we didn't expect to flip blue in Georgia, just like Texas coming up, it's like Florida attempted to adopt measures to make it more difficult to vote. Not just, hey, we don't have rules, but actually focusing directly on how certain groups of people vote, like Sundays to the polls and limiting hours on Sundays and moving that around. 
And you saw this explicitly be addressed by Major League Baseball, just like we saw uh, in North Carolina and we, just, like we saw in Indiana, some of the different things that happened to press leagues uh, to be able to be more inclusive. And so now you have at Home Depot, other organizations who secretly support or openly support a failed press candidate for presidency want to be able to push back. And this is grounded in, okay, you're using a business excuse to be able to advance racist policies. And I think that they should be disgusting by them. And this has to be pushed back in every measure. Now, do this have some measure of teeth in court? I think when you're going to get down to the heart of it is, what are the communications that are being sent about these issues? And I think that just because uh, issues have been explicitly a little bit more in terms of how people express themselves, that gives more credence in court. Before these neutral-based policies come along, it was a little bit harder to be able to attack them in court. But discovery will determine what is being said in some of these congressional hearings. What is being said in some of these board meetings about, about people of color, about the, the the current climate that exists right now. I think that they, I think we're going to be able to, be able to press a suit like this. Great. Let's find out what you're talking about, people of color, and how you're advancing policies. And maybe you expose a little bit about how you do business and maybe put themselves in a really backed up position, maybe not want to make this case go as far as they really want it to. Well, let, let's take this case out of it and this, you know, the controversial election issues and, uh, and just not even talk about this case. Like, what is the responsibility if you announced you're doing something to actually do it? Like, if I said I'm going on vacation somewhere and then I'm like, ah, oh, you know what, I'm not going to go. You can't, the hotels in that area can't sue me for not coming. Like, just because you say you're going to do an all-star game there, how can you sue for not having the all-star game there? Well, you have to, I mean, I, I, it obviously relates to inter, interference with the contract and some of the uh, issues they may say, if they, especially if they had any contracts with nature baseball obviously you're breaking that contract and see what goes on from there any sponsorships deals of that respect that those businesses would have a little bit more teeth in a suit if they were to be able to sue major league baseball but when you have completely wholly separate businesses that do not necessarily have standing that's one of the most important things to be able to get in court if you're just a business and say hey we don't like that you did that and we're going to sue you as a result it's, it's baseless, but what it does is create more propaganda to be able to spread more messages, to be able to corrupt the minds of more people about a lie that is spreading. Over 50% of Republicans think that Joe Biden shouldn't be the president right now. It, it, that's absurd right now. And we shouldn't have corporations getting involved in politics in such a way, particularly if you're getting, you know, we heard stick to sports. But if you're advancing the cause of people and using sports as a platform for the greater good of society, that's great. But if you're using your voice to be able to make society a worse place, then definitely do not stick to sports. Stay in your own lane and get out of the places where people are entertaining themselves with sports as a platform. Xavier Pope with us, lawyer, host of Suit of News as well. You can follow watch that at Xavier Pope uh, up on Twitter. All right, well, let's go to Naomi Osaka then because this has been a pretty interesting set of circumstances. Naomi Osaka, of course, withdraws from the French Open over uh, her dispute with the majors right around how she wants to handle media availability. Uh, what have you thought of the fallout from her decision? Because it seems to be a majority of people very upset that uh, almost essentially like, no, you don't have a right. We need to hear from you. You do what we tell you to do. Almost like a power dynamic. They're not happy that a young girl, a minority, has control of a situation like this. Yeah, I think that it's uh, not as straightforward as one might suggest. 
Um, Naomi Osaka obviously has responsibility to press in terms of as it deals with uh, major championships and tournaments of that nature. But what the problem existed was when she expressed a personal mental health issue, then she was being, then she was bullied by four, the, the four majors. And at that point, they expanded it beyond just the, the mental health of this woman. And then you had the press who, who then, they had a conflict of interest. <laughs> you know, if you're covering something, and then you are inserting yourself in it. You really don't come to it with clean hands about how to talk about this specific issue in terms of power dynamics, particularly if you're associated with big corporations that are connected and have contracts with these same places. So if you are who – who covers the French Open? Who covers the Australia Open? Who covers the U.S. Open? If you are related to those outlets that have invested interest, then you aren't necessarily going to have – the perspective that others might have. And I saw a lot of people that really come on top of a lot of social issues kind of get on and jump on them. Naomi Osaka is saying they're old something. I thought that was interesting because if you are if you are a marginalized group and then when you get some form of measured privilege in terms of being a journalist, and, that, and then you use that to be able to shut down a voice of an Asian black woman, I have a problem with that. And so um, we have to really look at this from a multi-tier, multi-layer position and look at it in terms of her specific mental health and then what happened in terms of organization bullying a black woman and then also in terms of the press having a conflict of interest being handling an issue that we can totally understand the access to the press but we also have to make it, make it important to, to focus on the really important thing mental health of naomi osaka uh, what about this level-headed take uh, new column narcissistic naomi cynical exploitation of mental health to silence the media is right from the Megan and Harry playbook of wanting their press cake and eating it. That would be Pierce Morgan. Yeah, Pierce Morgan loves attacking black women. And, and so that, that's his stick, um, his white male grievance brings to bear. And this is more content for him to be able to spread more of that brand. Um, we have a modern society where white male grievance content is popular now in this country and is now seen as a hate. And so we're seeing it. We saw Clay Travis use his platform as a lawyer <laughs> to be able to move up through media, to be able to get Fox Sports, outkick the coverage, and now he's taking over for Rush Limbaugh. And so there is a space for this type of voice in politics, whether it can apply directly to the politics or it can direct to the, the politics and sports. So to stick to the sports angle, now is its own case-driven culture that being so proud of and content off of it and Chris Morgan is doing more of the same we saw uh, last one for you Xavier great work as always uh, by the we, way this scoff at uh, the Clay Travis lawyer line is pretty good yeah that, that's <laughs> solid I appreciate that one uh, again guaranteed less than 10 people would die from coronavirus that's 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 his, that's on his record um, the the term race norming I think threw a lot of people off yesterday when it was, you know, revealed the NFL is going to get rid of race norming as as it relates to the concussion lawsuit mm-hmm. in particular. What what does that mean, and what does it mean to the former players? Yeah, I, I've been covering this for quite some time. The big issue is that the NFL concussion settlement, years and years old, is still an absolute mess. Lawyers fighting each other different issues coming out, inadequate payouts, and there is still a fight over this 
years later and the implication of the race norming um, and being a standard to be able to apply treatment to dementia patients, treatment, then becoming a barrier for black players to be able to qualify to get an award, basing saying that you have less, you should start out behind the eight ball in terms of a black person cotton. And that puts you in a worse off position to be able to gain an award is eugenic crap. And the NFL um, is basically caught in a, in, a, in, a, in a space where they are claimed to be so woke, they even put in the, the Super Bowl, you know, this uh, slogan on, on the end zone. Meanwhile, Colin Kaepernick is still out of the league for his fifth season. Um, the NFL continues its issues with not honoring the Rooney rule. It's the fact that there aren't any majority black owners in the National Football League, even though after the Carolina Panthers had their situation with, with, uh, with racial discrimination of its owner, and you have multiple African-Americans step up to want to buy that team. It's still passed on uh, to a white owner and white-affiliated owner. The NFL continues to show its problems on race on every single level of the sport, including when the the element of how the sport is even being played to be dangerous in the first place in effectuating paying out money to those players that are majority black. It is an absolute travesty. The NFL owes an apology, but they also need some form of reparation design behind this. I don't speak it in the terms of, 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 of something that's not earned, but it's something that has been earned by players and the right to be able to get their awards that they deserve. Xavier, tell people what's up on Suit Up News. Uh, you can always go find me at hashtag SuitUpNews, S-U-I-T-U-P-N-E-W-S, uh, or go on my timeline at Addict Davis, hope E-X-A-V-I-R-P-O-P-E-B, talking about all these various issues, about the power dynamics, the things that are happening in, in stands across the NBA and the playoffs, and how that relates to a wider society. People lose their mind, climbing up capitals, not being called accountable for it, what we need to do about it. Good job, buddy. We'll talk to you. Love you guys. Peace. Thanks, man. Love you, too. JVT, Adam Hill, Cofield, here on a Thursday on the way back. Uh-oh. I would like to celebrate the guy <laughs> retiring. I'm not happy he's going away, but I thought Mike Krzyzewski had a pretty good career. But, my God, I think someone's going to bring the pain on Coach K. It's going to get ugly. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> Oh, this is great. I feel like I'm at a Duke press conference. Crank it up. Ari's kind of music. Good selection, Ari. Was Coach K dancing yesterday to this? I'm just kind of disappointed he didn't close the hits of the lyrics, which are incredible. Ari blows it again. Or was it the vast soundtrack? We'll get to Coach K. 364-1100, 364-1100, 364-1100. Tim wants in on Cofield and Company. Phones are open all show long. 364-1100. Tim. What's up, fellas? Uh, I just want to comment on um, the past guest that you had on. Um, you know, I'm a short, fat, white guy, and, man, the privilege to be able to play some tennis and make millions of dollars uh, would be fantastic. So the fact that you can't answer a couple questions after a match uh, man, that seems really privileged to me. And I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absurd. And, you know, if she doesn't want to do it, hey, fine. And you don't get paid. Uh, I, I just I don't understand what the problem is. I think that's the problem with society as well. I am a 
math high school teacher. <laughs> so I don't make a lot of money. So to see her just pissing away uh, all this income because she can't answer a couple questions, uh, just doesn't make sense. Uh, well, it, can so I, I ask you? Can I ask you what if what if Naomi Osaka actually suffers from like mental anguish? and stress from all of these press conferences? Like, what if this actually has a legitimate negative toll on her mental health like she says it does? Fair, fair, totally fair. But uh, I'm sure she has um, she has the opportunity to get some help, right, and, and, and go through that, right? So, I mean, so you play tennis or you don't, or if you have the mental anguish, if that's, if that's it, and, and totally get that. I, I will not, I'm not going to say that's not a problem. There's got to be someone in their corner that says, okay, then you can't do that. You can't answer questions, but you can play tennis. Does it make sense to me? I mean, I also would point out there's no she's, – she's not getting paid by anybody. She's winning, a, she's winning a prize. Well, I think she gets paid by a lot of people. Sure, but in this case, she's winning a prize. And also, she's sponsored? Yes, that's a different issue, though. In, according – in the tournament that she's entered – She's playing for a prize. That's right. different than what, earning millions. I mean, she's not, nobody's giving her the paycheck for the tournament. She's earning it. But she also gets paid to be from their sponsors to get in the tournament. Sure. Right? Totally different issue, though. Okay. And, well, I mean, so the sponsors don't know about her mental issues? Sure, they do. But that, okay, the, so this is the tournament. All of a sudden, like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. So, then why even then, if that's the case, great point, but if that's the case, why even get into the tournament? Then? Why even start the tournament? Well, because there's a set fine of twenty thousand dollars for not talking to the press, and she planned to go and just pay the fine every single time, and just say, "Okay, I'm not going to do it. This is the this is the rule. I'll earn this much for winning the tournament. I'll pay this much in fines for not doing the media, and we'll move on." But it, nobody could let it go. So I, I like I do have issues with with certain cases of people not wanting to talk to the media, not doing certain things, and try to make excuses for it. I do have that, but there's a rule here. You pay the fine and you don't do the media. But nobody can look, accept that. Okay, then why'd she drop out then? Th- because nobody would just... She wanted <laughs> to go there, pay the fine, not do the media, and move on. But it was all anybody talked about. Like, if, if we have a set fine for not doing media, then let's move on from it. Let her pay the fine and nobody talk about it. Okay, I'm cool with that too. I, okay. I, I'm cool with that. But... So you're, tell, you're telling me that um, after she wanted to set fine, basically they came out and said, okay, you're kicked out. You can't even play tennis anymore. And it's no, no. It was just all anybody would talk about is her not doing media, and that, that added to her anguish. And that's when she dropped out because she's like, I didn't – like this is even worse than doing the media. It's everybody talking about me every single day when I when – I, all I wanted to do was play tennis and then go home. That's all I want to do. And now I'm still the biggest story without even talking to the media. I don't want to do this. I'm out. And to add to that, they they did put in that the, she might face even stiffer punishment going forward with that. So kind of skirting the rule of the one-time fine, there was also, it seemed like, escalators if she continued along with this path. Hey, guys, I think this is the problem with uh, society today. You sign up for something, you finish. My, I coach my sons and daughters' soccer teams. You sign up for something, you finish it. You know what you signed up for, and and do it and finish it. So if he, he she didn't just, want to get into the just, tournament, hold he on. He just said they on. changed the rules hold on. on. Hold on. If she didn't want to sign up for the tournament and she knew what the rules were, then that's it. No, and but they changed the rules on her. That's what he just. They changed the rules. 
She signed up under one set of rules, and she said, okay, I can live with that. I'll pay the fine. That's what the rules are. And they said, well, we're going to increase the fine now because we don't like what you're doing. Well, she signed up under the rules. You can't change the rules on her. If they change the rules, then that is effed up. I agree yeah. with you. I okay. agree. With you. I agree. With you. I'm not arguing. Right. But, 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 but if you start something, finish it. That's all. And, guys, I love you. Um, yeah, you too. It, just, it, it seems kind of whacked out. We can all have our opinions on it. And this, it is a much bigger issue. It's not like this is an issue that is much more about just her in this tournament. There's a lot more to it, for sure. Thanks, Tim. We appreciate the call. Phones are open 364 1100 We turn our attention on the way back to the NBA playoffs. And bye bye, Knickerbockers. Just like I said, they were happy to be here and they're out 4 to 1. Anytime the Golden Knights are on TV, watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles.